And joining us now on the debate, in the CITV newsroom in Vancouver, Val Meredith, former Reform and Canadian Alliance MP. And with us here in the studio, Susan Delacourt, Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, Akash Maharaj, former National Policy Chair of the Liberal Party of Canada, and Robin Sears of the government relations firm Navigator Limited. Val, welcome to you out on the West Coast and to everybody here in Toronto. Let's get this discussion about politics and principles started right away with the news of uh, the last few days, which has really been rocking the socks of official Ottawa, that's for sure, and now going beyond. Stephen Harper from the House of Commons a couple of days ago. Roll tape. Mr. Speaker, tomorrow the Bloc Québécois will present the House with an unusual request that we here at the federal parliament define the Québécois nation. As a consequence, Mr. Speaker, with the support of the government and with the support of our party, I will be putting on the notice paper later today the following motion. The following motion, that this House recognize that Quebecers constitute a nation within a united Canada. Much of the reaction of the House of Commons was instantly laudatory. Also, across the country it has been, however, not uniformly. And you were talking about this just a second ago. Let's give the man his due. Here's Andrew po uh, Coyne in the National Post from yesterday. The Prime Minister's statement in the House yesterday, a statement no Prime Minister has ever made before, marks the moment when the idea of Canada finally shrugged, sighed, heaved, and expired. The hollowing out of the national idea, a vision of Canada as a coherent national entity capable of acting with a single national purpose is now complete. We are well on our way to Belgiumhood. And that suits our political class just fine. Okay, Robin Sears, the, that's the critical view, obviously, of what the Prime Minister's been up to. What's your view? I don't think there's anything wrong with being Belgian. <laughs> um, as long as you're a waffle, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I'm nervous about it. I, I wouldn't be as harsh as uh, Mr. Coyne, but I, I do think this is playing with fire. It's very hard to be sort of half-pregnant constitutionally. Uh, and I think he's made the decision on pragmatic poli political grounds or on principled grounds. Oh, I think this one probably tilts towards pragmatism rather than principle. Really? Yeah, because he was getting squeezed, and there was no way he could preserve his Quebec caucus, let alone his ambitions in Quebec, unless he found a way out of the squeeze. But, you know, I guess I would, I would just summarize my anxiety about it this way, Steve. It's either a meaningless gesture, in which case, why bother? Or it's a meaningful gesture, in which case, we're on a slippery slope. Akash, let me ask you this. Uh, the Prime Minister is... The Prime Minister is alleged to have said to the Conservative Quebec caucus, as much as you might like to let this issue continue to percolate and thereby put the Liberals in an uncomfortable position, the national unity of the country is too important and we're not going to do that. Does he get credit, if that's true, for a strong principled position? I think that statements that are that articulate and that well scripted are rarely leaked to the media without purpose. I think that it's clear that Stephen Harper would like to present himself, as any Prime Minister would, as a champion of the national ideal. I suspect that this was simply too ripe a fruit for him to avoid plucking. Um, the Liberal Party will be dis debating this very issue at our convention. It will show up fault lines within our party. It's, it's a traditional um, point of contention within the Liberal Party and indeed across the country. I don't, however, succumb to the view that this is the end of Canada. I think that the country is far too strong to be imperiled by a handful of words uttered by any Prime Minister, let alone this one. But I do agree that um, there is peril here. I, I think that there is great danger. Not giving him any marks for principle here? 
I give him marks for being shrewd, and I certainly give him marks for the fact that he could have gone all the way along with the bloc, and the fact that he inserted the, the wording about within a, a united Canada is important, um, and it did require a certain amount of bravado. But I think that Stephen Harper has an eye towards the judgment of the next election rather than an eye towards the judgment of history. Okay, let's go to Val Mer uh, Meredith out west. Val, I think a lot of people remember you and Stephen Harper getting up in the House of Commons in 1995 to vote no to Quebec as a distinct society. And now some say he's going further than he's ever gone before by doing what he's done over the last couple of days. So is this pure crass sucking up to Quebec politics? You want to put it that way? Uh, I don't know that I would put it that way, but certainly I would suggest that this is more political than it is principled. There's, there's no question that uh, Mr. Harper, from the early days of reform and whatnot, did not really take the position that he's taken now. And I, I think, quite rightly, he was forced to uh, address the issue. He could have let it go uh, through the House of Commons. I'm sure it would have been defeated by the Liberals and the NDP collectively with the Conservatives. He would have had some problem with his Quebec caucus, perhaps, but you know it, it wouldn't be the first time nor the last time that uh, they would have to come to some consensus on the approach that they took. I think I'm a little uncomfortable with some of it, but uh, my experience has shown me that resolutions uh, passed through the House of Commons that sound like they mean something but really don't. And one of them back in 1995 recognized five regions in the country, uh, British Columbia being one of them. It hasn't meant uh, anything to the province in actual uh, recognition as uh, another region of the country in either Senate seats or uh, House of Commons seats or any other special concession. So it really is what the country does with this new uh, determination or recognition of Quebec as being a nation. It uh, will de de determine what the government's uh, definition of this recognition of a nation is. And I, what it does, though, is it does give the province of Quebec the um, impetus to start pushing the agenda. Well, again. we'll see. And we'll, that, that's let's, what concerns Let's Western see about Canadians. that. Susan, there's obviously a ton of politics here to unpack. We have three um, fair to Midland votes here against the notion that uh, this was a principled decision and it had way more to do with vote buying in Quebec. Uh, you've been listening. You've been reporting. You've been keeping your ear to the ground. Where are you on that? Um, I actually, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm going to be arguing in favor of um, Mr. Harper as a principal. Uh, I think it was motivated by pragmatism. I've known Mr. Harper, as Val knows, too, a long time. Um, I think the distinction is important to make here that he didn't recognize Quebec as a nation, and our own headlines did that. It, he recognized Quebecers as a nation. And I found, one of the most interesting things I found all week was that he recognized in... Before he did this, he went to Stéphane Dion and mm -hmm. actually spoke to him about it. And that shows that, that they, he was looking for a principled way to fight basically a pragmatic war of symbolism. Or to put one of his enemies inside the tent. And the, that could well be. He's not... Uh, he's not uh, I'm not alleging that. I'm just saying yeah. it's out there. He's a very shrewd politician. And I think on lots of other matters, and I think we'll probably go on and talk about them, um, I don't think that Mr. Harper makes a very good distinction between the principled and the visceral, but I think this is one that his instincts are well honed. I think his, um, his strategic sense is well honed, and I think his strategic sense is a principle with him. And um, I, I, 
I'm not sure. I certainly don't agree with Andrew Coyne that this is the end of the world as we know it. Um, I think it's a resolution in the House of Commons. It was meant to stop some game playing, and it basically did. Well, let me follow up with this with the national, former national policy chair of the Liberals sitting right beside you, and you having written the book Juggernaut about Paul Martin. When it comes to principle, is this a more principled decision than anything you saw out of the Paul Martin government? Um, Okay, not anything. <laughs> how, about, how about the majority of decisions you saw out of the Paul Martin government? As principle goes. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to parse principle even more than to. I think the, uh, the gay rights, the same-sex marriage, was a very principled decision, but I don't think the argument was ever made on principle. Gretchen made it, though. Martin didn't make it. Yes, one. that's right. Um, but we never heard that principled argument behind that, but I think it was a principled position to take. Okay. Let's take a look at another issue on foreign affairs, and this is what the Prime Minister had to say at the APEC summit in Vietnam last week when he was talking uh, about uh, having a discussion rather with the Chinese president. Michael, let's put this up for everybody to see. I think Canadians want us to promote our trade relations worldwide. We do that. But I don't think Canadians want us to sell out our values, our beliefs in democracy, freedom and human rights. They don't want us to sell that out to the almighty dollar. Uh, Mr. Harper painted an even more aggressive approach with the Chinese as a principled stand. That issue about the almighty dollar, here's another view. He brought, um, this is from Dan McTigg, the Liberals' foreign affairs critic, who said, Mr. Harper has a penchant for being late to stand up against violations of human rights in the world. His response, measured or non-existent, usually comes only when he needs to rope himself out of some irritant political quicksand he himself has walked into. So, again, two quite different views of the same situation. Robin, you want to pull it apart and tell me, is this a more political or a more principled decision, the issue about dealing with China? It's a grandstanding behavior and and that can be either principled or pragmatic i mean the lloyd axworthy sven robinson garth turner approach to politics isn't appropriate in a head of state doing diplomacy with another head of state mm -hmm. he could have been principled and not played games he could have conveyed through a third party his determination to talk about these issues without kicking sand in the face of the chinese president in public he could have raised it privately and come out afterwards and said he'd done so. He didn't do any of those things. He played a grandstanding game. So to me, it isn't really a question about principle. It's a question about whether showboating is equivalent to diplomacy. Val, how about you on that? Well, I, I disagree. I think that uh, it statement had to be very strong. It had to be very public for Canadians who were watching what was happening because I... Canada has to show a strength. They have to show that they make decisions and that they stand by the decisions. And I would suggest that this was a very principled decision on Stephen's part to let the world know that Canada will make its own decisions. It will decide what it's going to talk about. And I think China is in a uh, quandary as to criticizing somebody else for interfering in their foreign policy or their domestic policy when they do it quite quite often in our country trying to tell Canada how we are going to deal with other countries and other nations. So I think that Stephen was right. I think it was principled and he had to show a strong face for Canada. If we're going to be taken seriously in the international community, Let we have to be seen as a country of strength. Let me get Robin to respond to that because uh, the notion here that you can somehow do it behind closed doors and yet it have the same impact as no. doing it in public is something Val doesn't share. What do you think? Can I quote Henry Kissinger here, who I think uh, one, one uh, should look to for uh, guidance on issues like this? He made a very important comment uh, at the time of the handover of Hong Kong, that he hopes that the statesmen of the 21st century 
do a much better job bringing a dissatisfied emerging new power into the international system than the statesmen of the 20th century did bringing Germany in. Because if they fail, the 21st century would be as bloody and disastrous as the 20th. This is not a game we're playing here. We're trying to persuade a very sensitive, often hostile, uh, face-oriented, 5,000-year-old culture to play according to the rules we all accept that big countries have to play by. Embarrassing them in public is not the way to do that. Akash? But, but, but that country Canada. also respects strength, and Canada in the past has not shown any strength in many situations with their foreign policy. And, and I think that other countries respect countries. They may not agree with the position they're taking, but at least if they understand that it's a position of strength and that it's a position of principle, they will at least respect the other country. And I don't know that Canada's had much of that in the last number of years. I, I have to say, I, I think that Stephen Harper's intervention was um, awkward and maladroit, and he could very well have said the same words after a meeting rather than before. But having said that, was his, his position a principled one? Yes, it was. Um, Canada is, relatively speaking, a small economic power. Our ability to twist the arms of a state the size of China behind closed doors is limited. What we do have on the international sphere, in the international arena, is moral suasion. And in order to use that, that must be used publicly. I don't think that any Canadian Prime Minister could or should apologize for standing up for the defense of human rights, be it in Canada or abroad. Exactly. I, could, I could wish that he would um, follow the, his words up with meaningful actions and meaningful policies towards China. But on the single question of is it a mistake for a Canadian Prime Minister, a Canadian head of government, to berate another country for obvious um, violations of human rights? Absolutely no. Can I take it, can I infer from your comments that you are then less than pleased with the Team Canada missions that the Khrushchev government operated and ran, which focused a lot on doing business and not too much on human rights? But didn't accomplish very much in the end. The Team Canada mission did, did accomplish a great deal economically, but when I became right. National Policy Chairman, the very first action on which I had run was that the Team Canada um, team should invest as much effort in promoting human rights and democracy abroad. You think they did? As we do. No, I don't think we did. And I think that that is against Canada's interest, not only ethically, but also in terms of commerce and economics. A country that does not respect its own citizens' fundamental human rights is unlikely to respect the comparatively ethereal constructs of contract law and intellectual property. Exactly. It is important that Canadian prime ministers and Canadian head of governments um, promote human rights not just for the good of people abroad, but for the good of Canadians. Susan. I, I want to go back to my distinction. It's my distinction. <laughs> the, the, I, I think it's an important one between the visceral and the principled. Um, and it's something that I, that I do think is very interesting to observe with Harper. And I was trying to come up with a comparison. And it's a, take a vegetarian. A ve, there are the vegetarians who say, ick, I won't eat meat, right? It's, that's a visceral reaction. And then there's the principled, I've thought it through. A principle can be explained, argued, it can be stretched. I'm not saying stretched to the point of, but, but you look forward to challenging it. Mr. Harper, I think, often regards what he, he tries to use communication and decisiveness and the ick, I'm not touching that, as a way of saying that he has a principle. Um, I think, I think I'm agreeing with Robin and Akash here, is that if you really want to have a principle, you argue it. You don't just say, that makes me mad and I'm walking away. And I use this in my very um, close-to-the-heart example of his dealings with the national media. I think that is entirely a visceral yeah. 
thing, not a principled uh, stand, and I, I think he does it every time he fears that, or he thinks that he's up against something he's, he opposes. He uses You're taking it far too personal. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, let me put a, a um, with no disrespect intended, far more important issue on the table about relations yeah. uh, than just with the press gallery, and that is what happened in the Middle East over the summer, Robin. I mean, here's a, a perfect example of where Mr. Harper, many would say, Bob Ray was in that chair, Akash, a few weeks ago and said, I, I totally take him at his word that he has, he has, you know, gone way over to the Israeli side for, for principled reasons and not for pragmatic reasons. How about you on that? I mean, we're, we're, he, he changed the typically balanced position that Canada has taken on Middle East issues, uh, he says, for very principled reasons. You think so? Well, I mean, I want to stick to my showboat versus pragmatism in principle, just as, as Susan wants to have viscera on the table. Um, I, I do think, so I do think that uh, he was principled, and I think he was more professional in the way he presented that principle uh, in the case of the Middle East than he was in the case of China, much less so if we go back to the spring on Armenia, which I thought was kind of a gratuitous slap in the face to the Turks. I had the, the privilege of working with Willy Brandt for almost a decade, who was one of the architects of relations with the Soviet Union. A when similar, did you work with him? Uh, 81 to 86. What, what were you doing with him? I was uh, Assistant Secretary General of the political organization that he was the head of, the uh, organization of all the Social Democratic and Labor Parties Did around the world. Okay. And, and Brandt always took the view, you're tough in private and you're quiet in public, mm -hmm. unless you're interested in making a headline rather than progress. So he negotiated the release of hundreds of prisoners out of the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe during the 70s and 80s. He was the architect of Ostpolitik, but he never was on the grandstand of the French Socialist Party, the, the British, the Americans, whacking the Soviets over the head to make sure he got in the paper. I really think that's an important distinction. If Mr. Harper was really keen on getting poor Mr. Chalil out of prison, would he have dealt with it this way, or would he have dealt with it much more firmly privately? Because he's now created a terrible dilemma for the Chinese. If they let him go, they're showing weakness. Who Val, benefits from that? Okay. Val, what about the Middle Eastern example, though? I mean, Stephen Harper quite clearly sided with the Israelis in the war over the summertime. Uh, you know, many would argue yeah. in order to curry favor with the Jewish community, although no. that is a community that is dwindling in size compared to the Muslim community in this country. I, I, I think, again, that Stephen has looked at this issue. He looked at the circumstances, and he made a principal decision based on how he saw it of who was in the right and who was in the wrong. Who... who who was a victim and who wasn't. And I think that that's another one, that he did it on principle. And, you know, when you talk about uh, showboating or uh, being a little bit too public, there are some times when that is the only way to force a decision. And I know that people in foreign affairs and others think that you quietly do things behind the, the doors and, and that works and whatnot. But I've seen it not work. I've, I've seen where it took... Uh, a public recognition that this situation uh, exists in order to move it forward and you know maybe some people don't agree that you need to bring things public but I if you want the support of Canadians if you want support of the world sometimes you have to bring it out in the open so people know that support is required okay Akash let's bring the discussion home a little more and talk about pragmatism versus uh, principles in politics you belong to what is arguably uh, one of the most successful political parties in the history of the democratic world, the Liberal Party of Canada. And I think most observers have said over the years that it's, a, that it's an entity 
obsessed with winning and not much else. That it's issues of, it's never gotten worried about principles. Hugh Siegel always has the funny line, we have our principles, and if you don't like them, I've got these other ones over here. Is that a fair characterization? I think you know what I'm going to reply to that one. Um, no, I, I think it's it, entirely. It is, it's undeniably the case that our long association with power has made our party a magnet for people who are in, more enamored with politics than principle. I, I won't deny that. At the core of it, though, the Liberal Party does stand for a set of, of liberal democratic principles. And I think that when we, the beauty of democracy, I think, is that Canadians are not the fools that some political operatives take them for. They do rep recognize when people have been, become changed by politics rather than mm -hmm. remain agents of change in politics. And they punish political parties accordingly. That is precisely why we lost the last election. And I think that the lesson that my party needs to learn from that is that we don't just have to repackage ourselves during this period in opposition. We have to basically take advantage of the fact that it is precisely in defeat that fair-weather friends will flee from us to rebuild our party and rediscover our roots. Okay, Susan Delacourt, pragmatism, crass political pragmatism is a zero, strong principles are a ten. Where's the Liberal Party of Canada over the course of time? Well, I'd put them around six or seven. Closer to principle? Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Um, that was yeah, far too kind. <laughs> hey, I was kind to Stephen Harper too. Um, I I go back to a, I think a, a seminal moment for me watching television. I'm sorry, you weren't the host then. I think you were too young. Um, was um, Brian Mulroney uh, when he started uh, turning in single digits in the polls? Started saying the really tough leaders make the right decisions and they're not popular for it. In other words, that those are now mutually exclusive. Uh, entities in Canadian politics. And I remember Peter Mansbridge said, Can't, shouldn't a good leader be able to do both? Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what Akash is talking about too, is it, it's leadership is a very important thing. And it's not the leadership of having Bono at a, <clears throat> at a, your convention or, or having, uh, you know, ticker tape parades. It's about taking people from one opinion to the other. Absolutely. It means that and I don't think we've seen enough of that in politics right now, but I think that, that that's what, what people are talking about is that um, politicians assume people's opinions are frozen in stone. I can't move them, so I'm just going to crassly appeal to them and then do what I want. And I think but that, and I, I think that but that's okay if it's based on principle, but when it's based on the polls and whether you're up and down in the polls and you change your position in order to garner votes, I mean, that's just crass but politics. Those two and things I think, are, we, I think we've seen a lot of that happening too, Susan. Those two things are mutually exclusive, though. We've gone, as a country, we've matured beyond the part, beyond the, the juncture where we look to leaders as people who will say, I am one great man, Come, uh, you, mu you must all huddle under my shadow. A real leader in a modern democracy is someone who is able to articulate a principled position, but then is also able to convince a majority of our fellow citizens that this is them. what we should do. I think that um, the idea of government by polls is the antithesis of principle because it means you are going wherever you think the votes are rather than bringing the votes to you. It's not that to be a principled leader you have to be unpopular. If you are unpopular, you are an ineffective leader and you are a bad leader. The, the trick to principle is, I, I, will, I will see Robin's quotation of, um, uh, of, Amer of American secretaries and up him with a quotation from Mahatma Gandhi. And that is that real, real principle is practical idealism. It's holding fast to your ideals but giving them practical application in the real world. 
and where Stephen Harper has fallen down hasn't been, I don't think he's an un unethical and unprincipled man. Where he has fallen down is that when he has taken a principled position, he has been ineffective and unable to translate that, those principles into reality. He doesn't let anyone else explain for him. A lot of that is in the communications of it, though, is. is. You have to prepare the people for the decisions sure. that you're going to make. I and feel, so often that does not happen, I, I agree. I feel quite inadequate here because I've heard Henry Kissinger quoted by Robin and Mahatma <laughs> Gandhi quoted by Akash Maharaj, and I just want to quote little old John Duffy here. Uh, here's John Duffy from the book Fights of Our Lives because, Robin, it would be far too easy to let you comment on the liberal situation. I want you to comment on the NDP situation. Here's Duffy's quote. Rocker Lou Reed's epitaph for the Velvet Underground's first album. Not many people bought it, but everybody who did started a band is the story of the federal NDP. The party was far more influential than electable thanks to the elites it attracted. Academics, writers, media people, union leaders, allowing it to shape the national agenda. So, Robin, has being principled over being political served the NDP well, generally speaking, over the years? No. Well, only because of what, only because <laughs> their principles. That's for Robin. He gets. That's his party. He gets to answer that one Look, first. When, when I was it. an active New Democrat, which I am no longer, that was for me a absolutely frustrating flashpoint because I was of the school of social democracy that also believed the first job of a politician is get elected. The second job, get reelected. And if you don't do those two things, the rest you might as well do somewhere else other than in politics. So what I would call the Jerry Kaplan, Stephen Lewis approach to New Democratic strategy, be right and be defeated, never appealed to me. Be right, be defeated, but be influential. That's what they Sorry. Exactly. Sorry, join a church group, join an NGO. <laughs> no. The thing about the Liberal Party of Canada, which I, I am not often caught in public saying uh, enthusiastically, is they understand you've got to get elected. And if you're elected and you do good stuff, you'll get re-elected. You do bad stuff, you get defeated. New Democrats and Tories fail to understand that initiating challenge for politics too often. Val, how about you on that? Well, I just think that the NDP have, have led us into discussions that we needed to have as a nation. And uh, they have affected change without being in power. And I, I'm of the, the uh, saying that we should probably get elected so that we can actually implement those ideas. But uh, they've, done very, they've been very successful over the years. What was the lesson in for you on In influencing issues that Canadians concern themselves, the environment. Uh, you know, social issues. They've been very effective. Uh, healthcare is the number one that comes to everybody's sure. mind. But what, what was the lesson for you? I don't agree with their all? position, and okay. most Canadians don't. Uh, let, me, let me give you a follow-up, though, Val. What, what was the lesson you learned from your experience being a reform MP? You guys came to, to Ottawa, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, very idealistic, thinking that you could change the world and the system. And uh, many people would argue that before long, uh, the, the pragmatism got in the way and you kind of lost your souls. Well, and, and I think that that's quite true. Uh, when we started the Reform Party, there was a uh, sunset clause, a 10-year sunset clause. We were going to effect change without ever trying to be in power. And over a period of time, that changed in conventions when people saw that we could maybe become uh, the government. And, uh, and we did lose. We did lose a little bit of our principal focus on what needs to be done <laughs> as we saw it, same way the NDP did it. So, there was a transition that took place, uh, you know, joining with the Canadian Alliance and then with the Conservative Party to put ourselves in the position we're in today, to be government so that you can actually affect change along the ideas. 
Have some of the principled ideas fallen aside? Sure they have. There's no question they have. Quick word from um, Susan Delacorte here on this. Can I just go back to the NDP example? Sure. I think there, there, there's a very interesting case study, laboratory study going on right now in Ottawa, and it's, um, it's Jack Layton tactically siding with the Conservatives, which is against every one of the NDP's principles. And trying to manage that whole debate could fill another whole show of this on, on what kind of pretzels they have to bend themselves into to be principled opposition, but to be tactically with the Conservatives. And every day there's a new iteration to that. Right. Let's move into the uh, remaining moments of our program here with this uh, why don't we call it the Susan Delacorte section of our debate? Why can't we do both, as you suggested earlier in the program? Pragmatic politics or principled politics, why can't we do both? And value like this, I'm going to quote Preston Manning here. If indifference or moral relativism blinds us to the necessity of moral standards on which to base political choices, we are in danger of making fundamental mistakes. And if a government refuses to recognize ethical standards and practice ethical behavior in the regular day-to-day -day conduct of public affairs, where will it get the skill or the authority to deal with the big moral issues when they are thrust upon us? That was Preston Manning in his book a few years ago called Think Big. And another view, well, this sums up basically what we said before, our favorite politician in the world, Jed Bartlett, the president <laughs> from the West Wing, who simply said, why can't we do both in one of those episodes? Robin, you've been around long enough. Can politicians do both? On some issues, yes. On most issues, of course. I mean, there isn't an immoral view of health care. There isn't an unprincipled approach to tax cuts or tax increases. So, you know, in a, in a, in a way, there's a bit of a false dichotomy. Much of government is about the nuance of where you, you push along a spectrum between um, two, two positions, neither of which are evil or moral. But on the, on the occasional big ones, the war in Iraq, uh, the Middle East, um, it is very tough to be principled and politically successful if the mood of your electorate is hostile to the principled position. And that's the real test of leadership. I mean, Churchill, for me, is, is, a, is a, a great example of taking a very hesitant public about war and Roosevelt and converting them slowly with incredible political discipline to an understanding that the only principled position was the one they were advocating. But, it, but it's very hard, and it often fails. Akash? I think that politics and, and principle are absolutely uh, go hand in hand and, and must go hand in hand. Mm. Otherwise, what on earth is it that you're doing, doing in government? The, if, if a gov I agree with Preston Manning's statement. If you cannot trust political actors to behave ethically in small things, how can you possibly expect them to behave ethically in large things? There is certainly a narcissism amongst those who would rather make a, a scene than make a difference, people who would rather win the debate than actually affect real change in society. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that you can say that in order to affect real change, you have to give up your principles. Because if you give up the, your principles, you are by definition making unprincipled changes in society. I think a real leader isn't someone who makes grand speeches. I don't think a real leader is someone who necessarily attacks, attracts a great deal of attention to himself. A real leader is someone who finds a way to take the principles that we all hold to, convince Canadians that to give practical meaning to those principles, we have to take certain steps, and then build the necessary political base in Canada to do that. Who Can is that today in this country? Stefan Dion. I think that he. I think that the greatest. <laughs> paid political I, I have. I have endorsed Dion, and the reason I have done so is that he has what I believe to be quiet charisma. How about in the world today? Internationally, who yeah. do I think can achieve that? At the outset of his career, I would have said Tony Blair. I thought you were going to go there. But I think that Tony Blair is a classic case of someone 
who came to change politics and ended up being changed by politics. He ended up being co-opted by the very system that he sought to change. Good politicians, good principles have no shelf life. Good politicians, unfortunately, do. So, Susan, you watch a lot of politics in this country yeah. at the national level. Who's, who's really... Who's got what Akash just described, that ability to balance the both and yet be principled at the end of the day? I don't see anybody at the moment. I don't, uh, I, I don't want to say that um, in, a, in a negative or, or dismal or dispiriting way. I just think that there's... It's hard to see the positive yeah. in that statement. <laughs> oh, <but anyway. laughs> I think, okay, let's say there's a lot of them for who there's the potential. But um, I, what I do see in Ottawa and have since, you know, I've been there 19 years now, um, what I have seen is far too many communications consultants, and I know everybody's going to say that, but yeah. I watch a whole bunch of people trying to teach politicians how to look like they have conviction yes. instead of having conviction consultants. To You know, <laughs> it, it would be great if, if someone had coached Paul Martin or Brian Mulroney in how to communicate your conviction rather than how to, here's how to look like you have one. Um, it's, you, you are so right. So many of these how people. <laughs> you know, well, let's, let's hear from Val on this because you've been yeah. both a politician and are now in the business of advising politicians. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. What, what happens is politicians end up not saying what they really think and other people tell them how to say it, what to say, when to say it. And what comes across to people is that they're insincere, that they really don't believe what it is that they are saying and what they're proposing that we do. So I, I, I think that politicians need to have the strength of character, especially leaders, to say what they think and to explain very concisely and very openly how they reach the decisions that they, they've come to. Robin, who does that in this country today? Federal or provincial, or municipal for that matter. Well, I mean, if we're allowed to make political plugs, I guess I have to say my old friend Bob Ray has moved from being more of a conviction <laughs> politician to a politician leavened by life experience to be an appropriate balance between pragmatism and principle. I Look, think he a has conviction, yet to, he a has yet to prove politician, that. A conviction politician we've all known and loved is the President of the United States. Is that what we want? Those are I the mean, wrong convictions. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. conviction no. politics are, are great if you agree with a conviction. They can be disastrous if somebody has a set of convictions that are going to lead a country or the world in the wrong direction. But I think that as but, well, but the electoral... Some people, the, but some people don't think it's the wrong direction and that's why we have elections in the democratic process so that the public can decide whether or not they agree in the direction that the leaders are taking them whether they agree in the conviction or the principle upon which they're taking these decisions or not and that will that will happen come the next election people Akash, will judge a faith in the conviction of politicians of principles flows from the democrat democratic process if you believe that the wisdom of society lies in the many and not in the few then you must believe that a good and an effective politician is someone of principle and indeed if there's one thing that i've learned over the course of elections it is that when faced with a choice between a politician who stridently believes in something with which they disagree and another politician who believe, appears to believe in absolutely nothing at all canadians will invariably choose the person of, of conviction can i embarrass you a little right now i think you're going to even if, <laughs> even if i see don't that look in my eyes you've been on this program a couple of times and every time you're on we get emails from people saying well wow, that guy sounds smart and principled is he ever going to run what's the answer to that question how wise with the liberals will, will i run um I, I will run. For, um, I, it, it would require me to. It would require there to be a leader of my party whom I feel that I could serve well while serving my country well, and that has not always been the case. Gotcha. Val Merida, thanks so much for being on the line for Vancouver. It was good to see you my again. My pleasure. Okay. My and Robin Akash, Susan, thank you thank so you. much for being here in Toronto. Thank you.